You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we are in a sermon series called Abide. And the whole goal of this series through John 15 and 16 has been to develop this constant awareness of and connection to and dependence upon the power and presence of our loving Savior. And we've really been focusing a lot, especially on the first parts of that definition, the constancy of it, the awareness of it, the the dependence upon Christ. Uh, But I don't want you in the length of that uh, whole definition and goal uh, to lose the sight of the last three words in that statement. Four words. Of our loving Savior. Of our loving Savior. We abide in a loving Savior. The the call to abide is a call into the love of Christ. And that's going to be the focus of this morning. And so as as part of this series, we've been doing these interviews uh, with people in our congregation who are in different circumstances. They're facing different challenges in life, uh, but they are all seeking to abide in Christ. And so we're talking about some of those challenges, and and we're talking about uh, some of the ways that they're finding uh, that they can abide in Christ. We actually prayed for Shelly this morning, and... uh, She is our testimony for today, so turn your attention to the screen. Thanks for joining me today, Shelley. And I'm so glad that we can have this conversation. We're in this series on abiding in Jesus Christ, and we're learning how to remain in constant awareness of connection to and dependence on the power and presence of our loving Savior. And so I just wanted to talk to you a little bit today about uh, what that looks like in your life and uh, and help people see, you know, a testimony of, of what um, abiding in Christ can look like in their lives. We all face challenges to this, right? It's, it's hard to remain in constant dependence upon Jesus Christ and constant awareness of his presence in our lives. And so what are some particular challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis? Well, I have a lot of physical boundaries that I um, have to overcome. Mm. And one of them is my blindness. I've spent most of the past year blind. And I've had a lot of um, tough situations. My father was passing away and my sisters were arguing back and forth and it constantly keeps me reminded that I have to pray Mm, and I have to set time aside every day to, you know, lift my spirits to, to be able to function. Yeah. Yeah. How did those things affect your uh, desire to abiding Christ. Well, it was very hard when I was blind because mm-hmm. every every morning I had to get up and to not be able to see what I was basically doing was horrible. Yeah. And to sit all day in darkness. Yes. Can't imagine. It, it was horrible because there was a very big chance that I would not regain it. Yeah. And and then amongst that, you know, my father got sick and I was trying to care for him and still being blind. That was very hard. 
And then the fact that my father did not profess to be a saint. Mm -hmm. And he actually came around about two weeks before he passed mm -hmm. away. Wow. And that made me feel so much more at peace. So um, you, you mentioned praying and setting aside time every day. Uh, are there some specific times of day that you like to do that? Are there some specific habits that you have um, that help you remember to do that? First thing in the morning. Mm. And then, um, you know, usually about midday, I get really tired and wore out. My back is hurting and um, I just have to pray that God will, you know, let me move around. Mm. I, I don't know where I'm going to go with my back. I don't know if I have to have surgery or mm. whatever, but that's my next step. Right. And it's scary. Yeah. And yet I have the utmost faith in God that he's going to cure me. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, strengthening your faith. Uh, right. So what are some other uh, ways that you've seen God show up as you've, as you've depended well, upon him? My sisters, as terrible as they were fighting, are now talking. Mm, wow. Just had no, no passive way to get to, to peace. Yeah. And now they're talking and they're, you know, and like I said, I, I saw the fruit of my father yeah. when he passed away. Oh, and I, um, I depend on Mel. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the ladies from church that yeah. come and um, do my laundry, mm, wow. clean my house, and things that I can't do. There isn't any fear or um, thinking about feeling guilty mm. for them helping me. They come in right. and, and it's a God-given, God-felt right. service that they do for me. Right, right. And there's a peace in that and a joy in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we abide together in community, don't we? Yes, we do. It's not just a me by myself and Jesus thing. It's a it's an all of us together thing. Right. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Well, thanks so much for sharing uh, with me today. And um, I, I pray that our congregation is encouraged by this. Um, yes. I want you to know I appreciate you and, uh, and I appreciate uh, the work that God is doing in your life, especially. So uh, I love, I just enjoyed having that interview, first of all, and I uh, love Shelly to death. And, and uh, I love how she drew out the nature of community in abiding in Christ. Uh, I said last week that there are three types of habits that fuel our abiding in Christ. Uh, there are prayer habits, uh, there are word habits, and there are community habits. And we talked about the first two last week, prayer and the word. Jesus ties them together really closely in verse 7 of chapter 15. And, and those are the ones that I think we, we think about most often when we're thinking about abiding in Christ. Uh, prayer and the word. Uh, j just me and Jesus together talking. He's talking to me. Um, and yet we forget that the third type of habit that we need in order to abide is Community. Community. You can think of these three habits like a, like a three-legged stool. If you only have uh, one or two of these habits going and you don't have that third leg, uh, what's going to happen if you're sitting on that stool? You're just going to collapse. You're going to fall right over. And, and um, they're not three isolated habits. They're three habits that are working together toward the goal of abiding in Christ. 
And the reason that we need those community habits is because uh, abiding in the vine, who is Jesus, is a, a primarily an exercise of love. It's an exercise of receiving His love and then bearing the fruit of His love. His love is poured out for us. It's primary, the primary nourishment that He gives to us, the branches, and then it's expressed through us as the primary fruit that God is seeking. And so here's our big idea that we're going to see unfold through John 15 today. Embrace Christ's love for you so that you can experience Christ's love in you and extend Christ's love through you to His people. Let me say that again. Embrace Christ's love for you so that you can experience Christ's love in you and extend Christ's love through you to His people. Your Bibles are open to John 15, and I'll just remind you of the context. Uh, Jesus and His disciples are now uh, walking from Jerusalem, from an upper room where they shared uh, one final Passover meal before Jesus was crucified, and they're now walking to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is about to be betrayed. And as they're uh, walking, uh, they're also still, the, the, the memory of what happened in that upper room is very fresh in their minds because uh, they had forgotten, they had failed to acquire a servant uh, to wash their dirty, grimy feet. And because that was the lowest of the low jobs, uh, none of them were about to, to say, I'm the low one here, I'm the low one on the totem pole. And so they're all just waiting around, waiting for somebody else to pick up the job. And uh, the one who picks up the job, of course, is Jesus. And he grabs a basin. And he ties a towel around his waist. And he gets down and he, he washes each of their feet. And he does this, he says, as an example to them as to how they are relate, to relate to one another. That they are to serve one another. And that's the kind of love that he has for them. And that's the kind of love that they are to share for each other. And it's at that point then that, that Judas, one of his followers, it was dismissed to go out and then betray Jesus to the religious leaders. But, but Jesus doesn't really miss a beat. He just then keeps on teaching. And uh, throughout the next few chapters, one of the primary things that he teaches on is this idea of love. In fact, the very next thing that he says after Judas leaves, he, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus emphasizes this point again in John 14 and emphasizes it again in John 15. And then as you get to John 17, he's then praying for his disciples that they would have this love that is experienced between him and the Father and that they would be perfectly one and that they would love one another. Jesus' primary concern as he prepared to ascend to heaven back to the Father's right hand was this, that we would be a people who are marked by our love for one another. That that is how the world would see and know the church. 
Those who are truly Christ's disciples. And so let's see what Jesus says about this in the context of this parable of the vine and the branches. Look at John 15, beginning in verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, the idea of love, ironically, has become somewhat of a controversial issue in the church. Like, like love is controversial. That, that just seems so crazy to me. Uh, but for some people, they, they hear the word love and they, they're all like, like yes, love! Like, like that just means that God wants us to be happy and warm and fuzzy and like he's never going to tell us anything that we don't want to hear. He's always going to affirm me. He's just going to pat me on the back. And, and this is the idea of love. They kind of take the world's definition of love, which is wrapped up in, in the world's definition of tolerance, and, and they, they assign it to God. But then I think that's one extreme. But then I think on the other extreme, kind of reacting to that, uh, people think that love becomes then almost a taboo word because of the abuses that they've seen to it. And, and maybe, uh, maybe it's uh, misused and abu- they've seen it abused and so they downplay it in the church. Maybe somebody has read the title of today's sermon, Abiding in His Love, and, and they think like, Oh boy, this could be dangerous. Like, where's Pastor Ben going to go with this one? Uh, Maybe we need to try to go find a more theologically serious church who's going to talk about some of the meatier issues rather than talking about just love all the time. And I hear people say stuff like, sure, God is love, but He's also a lot of other things too. And then it's kind of like they try to bury his love under a pile of other attributes. Ones that are you know, more like the, the holy and righteous and wrathful and just. And, and it's like they, you, you almost can't see love underneath this whole pile of other things that they're talking about. And so, so if that is you, I, I just want to assure you today, like it's okay that you're here. It's good. It's even theologically necessary that, that we would talk about God's love Often. Often. Still others, and and I think this is probably far more common than either one of those extremes. Others have a hard time making God's love personal. And, And they know theologically that God is love. They just don't believe that God loves them. Or or at least not that much. They have this hard time imagining that this holy and righteous and perfect and just God would love someone who is so not 
those things. And so it's essential that we see where Jesus begins his discussion of love. He says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The first step toward abiding in Christ's love is this. uh, Embrace God's love for you through Jesus the vine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Don't we so quickly jump over those words and words like them in the Scriptures to kind of get to this commandments part and like, what do I got to do? And how do I got to apply this? And I got to start trying to earn God's favor. And we just kind of jump right over some of these just more statement of fact about this is who God is. This is His love that He has shown you. And Jesus is saying here, I love you with an immense love. Love that starts with the Father and me. Love that is perfect. Love that has been existing since eternity past and will exist into eternity future. Remember the context of what Jesus is teaching. He's he's using this metaphor, this parable of Jesus as the vine and us as the branches and the Father as the vine dresser. And the Father is actively tending the vine. He's personally tending the vine, seeking much fruit. Because He's glorified when the branches show the characteristics of the vine, when they prove to be the disciples of Jesus and bear fruit. And the primary element of spiritual fruit listed in any part of the Bible, you go to any virtue list, you go to any fruit of the Spirit, the the primary fruit, element of fruit is love. It's love. But remember, the Father is not seeking the fruit of the branch themselves. He's seeking the fruit of the vine. He's seeking the fruit that comes from the life-giving source of the vine. Remember what Jesus said, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. And so if we're going to fulfill the words that come next in these verses about keeping His commandments and loving others, we have to remember this, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus is the only vine who can produce the fruit the Father is seeking. And so we learned last week that that He passes this nourishment from the vine to the branches through His words. The words of Jesus, even the words that we're reading and studying right now, produce life and vitality and ultimately they're what carry this love to us. They're, They're how we come to know the love of Christ. The words of Jesus reveal the quality and quantity of God's love for us. So here's what this would look like if this were a math equation. It's up on the screen for all of you math geeks out there. I'm not one of them, but uh, as the Father loves Jesus, that's equal to the love that Jesus has for His disciples. Now, I wasn't great at math. I was okay. I don't remember very much about it, but I do remember this. Uh, When you have an equation, both sides of an equation are supposed to balance one another. 
Like there's supposed to be a sense of balance here. And this equation in verse 9 just doesn't look to me like it should balance. Does anybody else feel that? Like, like it just doesn't feel like there's, there's balance in that. The, the, like the Father loves Jesus. I get that. Totally get that, right? And, and the Father is equal to Jesus, and therefore they're, they're, they're equal in the amount of love that they can show. Like totally understand that. Uh, Jesus loves His disciples. I sort of get that. But Jesus' love for me is equal to the love that the Father has for the Son. That's where it starts to, to break down for me. It's those two little words, as and so, that I can't really wrap my mind around. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved. This love that binds the, the first person of the Godhead, the Father, and the second person of the Godhead, the Son, that binds them together in perfect unity so that they are perfectly one. This love that has existed since eternity past and will exist into eternity future. This love between two perfect entities who never disappoint one another, they never mess up, they never aren't feeling it. That's the most perfect version of love that could ever be experienced. And that is how Jesus loves His disciples? Yes. Without condition, yes. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Listen, you did not earn God's love. He he did not love you and attach you to the vine because you were lovely or awesome. You were a dead branch. How lovely is that? He loved you because of the work that Jesus the vine did for you. He loved you because Jesus provided His life for you and it is His life that you now have coursing through you if you abide in Him through faith. Because Jesus was crucified for your sin and raised from the dead, you can be united to Him by faith and raised to new life with Him. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you're here today and you're listening to this and you're saying, well, how do I get to know that love? It simply comes through faith in Him. You you say, I believe that I am a sinner lost and dead in my sin, but Jesus is a beautiful and awesome Savior and He died in your place for your sin and He rose again so that you could have new life in Him. A life that experiences the love of God. Unconditional. This union with Christ is such that when the Father sees you, He sees the work of Christ on your behalf. And therefore, the the Father and the Son in one mind and heart can say, we love you as our own child. John 3 starts out, see what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And so here's what Jesus says we need to do with that in verse 9. Abide in His love. 
remaining constant awareness of, connection to, and dependence on the love of Jesus Christ for you. Embrace God's love for you through Jesus the vine. I know that there are many, many people, many people here today who have a hard time believing Christ's love for you. And I have to admit that I can find myself there sometimes too at my lowest of moments. You, you know that you don't obey Him perfectly. And you fall short of your own standards, let alone His. And you feel the disappointment from yourself and from others and some of you have experienced a, a less than perfect love from an earthly father. And so, so you have this hard time imagining a heavenly father who would love you any better than that. And it can be so easy to downplay the love that God has demonstrated for us in Christ Jesus. Like, like sure, he loves me, but not that much. N not enough to really care about my concerns. Not enough to want me and to want to use me in His kingdom. Not enough to invite me in so that I could spend time just receiving from Him in quiet solitude and, and, and not, not just working for Him. Not enough for Him to allow me to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to His teaching. God can't love me that much that He would actually want to be with me. Have you ever said something like that? Believe something like that? Here's what we need to understand. To deny God's love is to deny the primary nourishment of the vine to produce the primary attribute of fruit God is seeking, which is love. God loves you not because of what you can do for Him, not because of your performance or because of the fruit that you can produce, but because of what Christ did for you to make you perfectly holy and righteous and clean. And He loves you simply because you are attached to the vine through faith. He loves you because of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you deny God's love, you deny the primary nourishment of the vine to produce the primary attribute of fruit God is seeking. If you don't embrace God's love for you, it will actually keep you from loving others. It will keep you from being able to love others. See, instead of loving people, you might start using people. You'll use them for approval or for value or to feel good about yourself. Instead of loving people, you might try to love others with the type of sacrificial service that you know God desires, but because you haven't first received His love, Nothing will satisfy your soul. You'll, you'll quickly run dry. You'll burn out. And, and then you'll retreat from that kind of love demonstration altogether. You'll retreat from community. And you must embrace God's love for you so that you have God's love in you so that you can then extend God's love through you. The only currency that we're dealing with here is God's love. Not Human love, not man-centered love. God's love. And so let me ask you this very pointedly. Do you believe God's love for you? Do you believe it? 
And I've heard so many people say, I've had a, I have a hard time believing it. And listen, that's an okay place to start. Yet we have to confess that. But it's not an okay place to end. It's not an okay place to stay. And if you're saying, I don't believe God loves me year after year after year, you need to get after this as a matter of first importance. This needs to become for you the year of I'm believing God's love for the first time in a real and tangible way. I am believing that it is not inhibited by my own performance, not inhibited by my own behavior. I'm believing God's love for me. that is you, I would encourage you to come and talk to one of the elders. Go through a soul care process. We'd love to do that with you. Get an accountability partner who would speak the truth of God's love to you. Do whatever it takes to strengthen your faith in this, that God loves you. I had to come to this place myself last year where I said, uh, you know, something needs to change here. Like, I need to stop acting like God expects me to perform for Him, to earn the love of others, or to earn His love, and I need to actually repent of believing untrue things about God's love for me. It had to become a matter of repentance for me. Like so many times we think about repenting of actions, but are we willing to repent of those false beliefs and actually embrace God's love for us? Repentance isn't a bad word. It's not a word that God is mad at you. Repentance is a word of joy. It is a word of life. It is the word that God uses to get what He wants to you. Embracing the love of God for us is essential to motivate us at a heart level in the next part of what abiding in Christ's love looks like. Look at verse 10. It says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be now, it may look at first glance like everything that I just said contradicts verse 10 right there, right? Like, like especially those who doubt God's love uh, or, or who believe it's dependent upon their performance, they look at that and they're saying, well, there, God only loves us when we obey Him. God only loves us and, and His love rises and falls based upon our obedience. But remember, this conditional statement about abiding in love comes after a categorical statement in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's the foundation upon which verse 10 is built. And those realities need to shape our understanding of verse 10. The primary command in this passage is not go bear fruit, it's abide. It's abide, and it's repeated again in verse 9. Remain in constant awareness of and connection to and dependence on the power and presence of our loving Savior. And so these verses are telling us what we must do as a result of embracing His love for us. Once we do embrace His love for us, we can experience God's love in us through joy-filled obedience. Oh, experience God's love in you through joy-filled obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. May be full. Jesus is not saying, uh, maintain my love by keeping my commandments. If you, if you don't keep my commandments, I'll stop loving you. Uh, he would contradict what he just said, right? He's saying, maintain your awareness of my love. Maintain your connection to my love. Maintain your dependence upon my love by keeping my commandments. You see, our problem is that we tend to think about commandments as an obstacle to overcome, to get to love. We, we think that, that love is at the end of a million hurdles that we have to jump over before we get there. We, we think about commandments as restricting love and holding us back from the things that are going to bring us true joy. And so when we fall short, we, we then tend to think about the consequences as God's disgust with, with our futile ability. Like, I'm just tired of you. But that's not the way that the Bible portrays the commandments of God. We need to learn to see the commandments as an expression of God's love toward us. Not the obstacle of God's love for us. They're not restricting us. They're freeing us to live as we were created to live. They're not holding us back from true joy. They're they're the gateway to true joy. These things that I've spoken to you uh, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what Jesus wants for you. And any of the consequences then that come from disobedience are not God's disgust with us, but rather His loving discipline to get us back to the way of true life. See, Christ's love is a holy love. It doesn't cause us to to hold back the truth. It doesn't cause Him to hold back the truth. Instead, He lovingly leads us to the truth that sets us free. And we obey because we know His commandments are for our good. Keith and I were talking on Friday night about the fighter verse this week and, and how we were just noticing that, that the commandments are obeyed for our good. If you were memorizing that this week, I hope that you noticed that and that you didn't leave those last three words off. For your good. For your good. His commandments are for our good. Because without obedience, our hearts grow dull to our need for Him, and we doubt His goodness. But with obedience, our hearts find fullness of joy that comes from the presence of the Lord working in us. Let me illustrate this for you. My son Titus and I uh, were working on one of his Christmas presents this year, uh, the Lego Hulk Buster. This thing is super cool, right? And uh, I had a great time with this, and he was super excited to, to build it. But here's the deal. He's five. He's five. And, and so this is a little bit over his head. And um, so the process involved a lot of instruction from dad, a, a lot of commandments, you could say. He, he couldn't do any of it without me. So I would read the instruction manual, and I'd tell him what to do next. I'd have to show him exactly where the piece went. Sometimes I'd even have to move his fingers in order to be able to press the pieces together because he wasn't even strong enough to do that. And, and so uh, there, there were times when he, he didn't listen, and he kind of rushed ahead, and he put pieces where they didn't go, and, and I had to correct him, and, uh, and it would just kind of slow down the building process. But, but in the end, uh, we had a great toy to play with. He's having a blast with this. Check this out. Like, Oh, it's stuck. There it is. There it is. Oh, yeah, right? Great toy to play with. 
But even more, even more than a great toy, we had time together in relationship as a father and a son. And the commandments about the process of building the Lego toy were not a hindrance to our relationship. They were actually the means of our relationship. So let me ask you this. Do you see God's commandments as a way of relating to Him? Are they a source of joy because you know that God is lovingly telling you the best way to live? Or are they something that causes you grief? Do you still see them as a hindrance to your joy? If you see them as a hindrance to your joy, you you need to first believe that God's commandments are an expression of His love. It, It may not feel like love at the time when you would rather sin than obey. But guess what? Like like He knows stuff that you don't. That's why He's God. And you can trust that He's working for His glory and for your good and, and that those two things are not separate experiences. And then once you see the commandments as an expression of His love, you need to ask Him for the power and presence to obey. Not just once, but, but in the moment when you're tempted not to obey. Like you, you don't just do this at the beginning of the day and then hope it all goes well. Like in the moment when you're tempted to obey, you go back to verse 7 that we were studying last week. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you need and it will be given to you. Remember His word. Ask for what you wish. Ask for what you need. And then walk in obedience, believing that He is with you and that He is more powerful than your sin. And then as you do that, you'll find that His way actually is better. It actually does produce joy. You'll see new desires and motivations form towards His kingdom purposes. You'll see that He's loving you and protecting you and shaping you into the person that He wants you to be through the commandments that He's given you. And you'll see Him answer prayer and and prove His power and presence with you. And and you'll experience His love in you through joy-filled obedience. If you're going to abide in Christ's love, you need to embrace God's love for you so that you can experience His love in you through obedience and then that obedience is going to show up in its love for others look at verse 12 he says this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you here's the third step to abiding in Christ's love Uh, express God's love through you in sacrifice for Christ's people express God's love through you in sacrifice for Christ's people. So remember again where we started back in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Uh, that's the, the nourishment from the vine. And now Jesus is showing the fruit that that produces. As I have loved you, now you love one another. The, the primary nourishment for the branch, uh, love begins to actually work in the branch as we obey, and then ultimately flows through the branch into the fruit of love. Primary characteristic of the fruit that branches of the vine produce is love for one another. And it's not just love in general. Notice, it's love for one another. There's a specific group of people involved here. 
uh, when Jesus gave this command in the upper room, Judas had left, and now uh, these men, as they listened, were able to look around the room and see ten other pairs of eyes and look them in the eyes and, and say, okay, you are the ones that I'm called to love. One another, one another, one another. And then as they joined with other disciples and the church was formed, they were, they were called to love all of the branches in the vine with the love that Christ had for them and was at work in them. And this isn't to say that we don't love other people in the world. Uh, it's to say that our love for those in the local church is visibly different and mutual because we share a common life source. The love of Jesus Christ. There should be a visibility to our love for one another that causes the world to sit up and take notice and say, wow, those people love each other. Man, I just can't believe how much they love each other. They love being together. They, they love serving one another. They, they love sharing their burdens. They love praying for one another. In fact, I want a part in that. Like, how can I get a part in that? And the answer that we point them back to is, it's not us, it's Jesus the vine. Look at him. And you can have that love too. I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, this is my commandment, that you expect love from one another. I think a lot of people think that's what Jesus said. Uh, this is my commandment, that you expect love from one another. And they, they focus on the love that they are not receiving from other people in the church. Like, why aren't they coming and, and spending more time with me? Uh, why, why are, you know, I'm sitting over here in the corner and nobody's talking to me. And, and, and they wonder why the pastor or elders hasn't visited them in a while or isn't giving them more direct attention. And they get mad and self-conscious when anybody maybe looks at them funny or they think that. And really, they just had a, you know, bad pizza the night before. But, you know, they're all self-conscious about it. And so they're thinking things. And... Uh, if that's you, first of all, it's probably a sign that you haven't fully embraced the love of God for you. Because if you've embraced the love of God for you, that's going to be all that you need. And you will be filled with the love of God. Jesus didn't say, this is my commandment that you expect love from one another. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another. That you go and if we are all moving and going toward one another, imagine the result. Imagine how incredible the love that's flowing in this place would be. And I experience that all the time. I'm not, like, this isn't even that hard to imagine, but I, I think it can just elevate to new levels. It needs to be our focus every time we get together. How can I show love for others today because I'm full of the love of Jesus in me? before you leave for church, before you leave for gospel community, be asking that question. I said earlier that there are three types of habits that are like three legs of the stool. Uh, word habits, prayer habits, and community habits. And, and we must have regular habits of community in our lives if we are going to fulfill this command to love one another. Like you, can't, you can't bear this fruit sitting in a room by yourself. You, you can't bear this fruit by, by constantly just being with unbelievers, I mean, that's important, right? But like, we need this love for one another flowing as a part of our abiding in Christ. And so community habits are essential. Your love for others is the overflow of your constant dependence upon Jesus Christ. And without love for others, you can't claim an abiding relationship with Him. That's why we like to think of our 
Sunday morning gatherings and gospel communities as important habits in the Christian life. We need an identifiable group of people who we are called to love and practice the one another's with in the Scriptures that we see in the Scriptures. And those need to become the habit of our lives. They, they go on our calendar first and then other things move around them. Uh, not because the pastor said so. Not because we're trying to get something from you as a church but because they are essential for your growth as a believer in that you are called to love one another and you need that opportunity and outlet in your life. We say at Oak Hill that the fellowship habits for every member should be Sunday morning gatherings, gospel communities, and ministry involvement. Sunday morning gatherings, gospel communities, and ministry involvement. And then beyond that, there's plenty of opportunities for ongoing witness and encouragement and growth, but, but those are the habits that we believe you need that will help you truly grow in Christ's love for one another. And they can't just be habits. It's one thing to know like what the habits are. It's another thing to then actually pursue them and focus ourselves on love. And so here are four focal points for those fellowship habits. Every time that you're gathering, thinking through these things, Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Here's the first focal point for our fellowship habits. Uh, Sacrifice based on Christ's example. Sacrifice based on Christ's example. Remember that the fruit of love for others finds its source in the love of Jesus for us. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, here's how I've loved you. I've laid down my life for you. Well, that sets the bar pretty high, right? Like, I'm going to deny my personal comfort and preferences and own ways of thinking and doing things, my time, my energy, my resources, all of it I'm going to lay down for the sake of loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. This moves love from an emotion or a feeling first to a choice and an activity that relies on Christ in me. I'm not expecting others to show me love first. Someone already has shown me love. His name is Jesus. And He laid down His life for them too. And so I can lay down my life for them based on His example and based on His power in me. Notice he gave his life for them. For them. What's in that little word for? He gave his life for their benefit. Ultimately so that they could find life in him. And that should be the focus of our sacrifice. Whether we're serving needs or courageously speaking truth or spending time being present with someone. Our goal should be that the other person would find their life in Christ. Not so that they would thank us or become dependent upon us, or feel good about themselves, or so that we could feel good about ourselves. Our focus when we gather to fellowship must be to sacrifice for others out of the abundance of Christ's love for us, so that they would be freed and moved to a deeper love for Him, and a deeper relationship with Him. Now if you lose that focus, again, go back to point one in the sermon. Some of you serve a lot. 
Some of you are constantly pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, and it's easy to to grow weary in well-doing. And So make sure your ministry is coming from that place of abiding. Greater love has no one than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Now Jesus threw that little word friend in at the end of 13, and it's almost like it just kind of sneaks by so he doesn't want us to miss it. And so he goes into verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. A love for one another means relationship based on his word. The word friend describes a personal and affectionate relationship. It's staggering, staggering that the Son of God would call us small human beings friends. But that is what He does. That is what He does. He also said, here's the foundation of your friendship with me. Uh, You do what I command you. And that may seem like a weird type of friendship. Like, I don't, I don't obey my friend's commands, right? But, but remember, like, we're still friends with the Lord of the universe, right? So he's still God, and we're still not. So that, that still establishes that relationship to a degree. He doesn't stop being the Lord of all creation. He doesn't stop being all-wise and authoritative. He doesn't stop knowing what's best for you. It means that Jesus is the friend that you can trust absolutely to speak truth into your life. Do you have that friend that you go to and you're just like, I can trust them. That, that, like they, they, they always speak truth to me. They always love me. They always care for me. I can trust them. That's the commands of Jesus. Here's what this means in the context of the commandment that we love one another then. The foundation of our friendships in the church is the word of Christ. His commandments and revelation for us. We aren't primarily friends because we have some superficial affinity to one another. Like, like we all love potato chips and so we start a potato chip club within the, within the church or something like that. Like, no, 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 our friendships are founded upon the words of Jesus Christ. And our love for one another comes from a common love for Him and what He's revealed to us. And we're pursuing Him together. And so when you gather in your gospel communities or on a Sunday morning or in accountability, love one another by pointing one another to His Word. Care enough about your brother or sister to know what they're going through. To know how they're tempted. To know how they need to be encouraged and stirred up in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Let that be your driving passion in relationship with other believers, pursuing friendship together with Jesus through His Word. We pursue him, and as we pursue Him together, uh, we move forward in the work to which He's called us. Look at verse 16. It says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The third focus of our community habits should be this, a partnership based upon His calling. We're not coming together as passive observers. We're, call, we're, we're coming together as partners in a calling, in a mission 
that He has given us. Jesus says He chose us. He appointed us. It's a calling. It's a word for calling. Uh, It's a partnership in the Gospel. And we're called specifically to be those who would bear fruit. Who would help the world see the beauty and the value of the life-giving vine. We have a God-given purpose for our fellowship that the world would know that we are His disciples and that He is the Savior of all. Love for one another is not so that we can hoard love. It's so that we can point the world to the truth that Jesus is love. When you come to church, think, as I gather with God's people today, I'm I'm partnering with them as one who has been appointed to this place, chosen for this people to show the love of God and those wisdom to the watching world. That takes church from an event that we attend to a purpose we pursue actively for the glory of God. Now that doesn't mean that we don't end up getting anything out of our fellowship. In fact, if we're pursuing Him and His purposes for us, we're going to be receiving everything from Him. And so look at verse 16 and 17 for the last focus of our fellowship habits. He said, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you, did not go and, that, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Here's the last focus of our fellowship habits, dependence based on His provision. We, we come to Jesus together as a dependent people. We don't come to, to show off for one another. We don't come to impress one another. We don't come to take from one another. We come dependent upon Christ and Christ alone. And when our focus is on receiving from Him and not from others, then we're, we're truly able to fulfill that commandment of loving one another. We can serve one another and seek His Word together and partner in His calling because we're going to the right source. Jesus Christ Himself. And so that brings us back to the beginning. Have you embraced Christ's love for you? Have you embraced it? It is in Him that we find everything that we need. And then have you experienced God's love in you through joy-filled obedience? Do you see His commandments as an expression of His love or as, as working against His love in your life? God's love is experienced tangibly when we step out in faith that He knows what is best and we take Him at His word. And the result then is that God's love is expressed through you in affectionate service for Christ's people. The primary provision of the vine is Christ's love for you. And so let's just uh, take a moment to explore these things in our hearts through prayer as John comes to lead us in a closing song. Father, we want to, at this moment, reflect on Your great love for us. At the cost that was paid for our sin. At the power that was shown for our salvation. 
that what we could not do on our own, you entirely did for us. That you made us lovely through Christ. That you made us worthy of your presence and your glory. Not because of what we did, but because of what you have done. Just confess right now, if there's any sense in which you have have thought too small of the love of God for you. Maybe you've doubted it or denied it or downplayed it. And then maybe commit to the Lord. Lord, I'm believing your love. And I know I need to go on a journey to to believe it more deeply. Take me there, Lord. Father, you have given us commandments that are good and for life. We need you in order to obey them. Help us to see that they are for our good. Just take a moment before the Lord and if there's any area in which you are disobeying Him and throwing off His commandments because you think you know what is better, uh, remember His commandments are for your good. Turn your heart to obeying Him this week. And then, Father, I thank You for the love that You have put in this place between these people. And I pray that it would extend to more and more people as more and more people call on the name of the Lord and seek to follow You here together. If there's any division in, in your heart with anyone and, and you've been unforgiving toward them or expecting too much from them. Confess that before the Lord right now. And then maybe go seek them out later today and just say, I love you. And I'm sorry. May the love of Jesus reign in this place. That is our prayer. That is our prayer. And it's in His name we pray. And we say, Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.